Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Did you, so did you listen to the show last week? Uh, I listened to it twice. <laughs> did you, did you, so you listened to the, to the special edition? I, I did. Yes. Is it the director's cut? I don't know if it's really the director's cut. I think the director's <laughs> cut would have been the, the shorter version. We need a, we, so I, think, I think we need a new name for what happened last week. Oops. I don't, I didn't actually, I didn't actually listen to it. I don't remember. Did I swear or anything when the glass broke? No, he just paused. It was a dramatic pause. And then did you like cough or do anything? I, that I, was, I did you do anything nice... awkward? Uh, so I was like, did I, did I, yeah, so was my first question in my head was, what did I do in that two minutes? I, uh, I, what switched... happened in those two minutes? Seriously, right? I, I switched the file, uh, pretty quickly. M many, uh, deep thanks to the Sarmento, uh, who sent us a, a delightfully snarky text message about needing something about a whistle <laughs> about needing a whistle or a, some sort of a theme song when the glass breaks at Pete's house. <laughs> yes. Who conveniently decided to listen to it on Friday instead of his regular Saturday. So we caught it right that, away. That was very helpful that that happened. And, uh, and so deep thanks. So I replaced it, but I can tell you 57 people actually downloaded the special edition, uh, of the the with the like three minute break <laughs> for glass breaking so yes with me we apologize coughing in the back and if you uh if you delete that uh version that you if you haven't listened to it yet go ahead go ahead and delete it whatever <laughs> delete it and download it again because you know whatever that's right uh okay so uh andrew nelson how are you uh how are you <sighs> my friend are you good I'm good are you I'm good good you looking forward to a good weekend? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. We uh you are if I know you'll be around this weekend. So if anybody wants to tweet Andy, make sure you catch him at uh, Soda Creek Film cuz he'll be around. I will be not hanging doing out much. at my humble abode all weekend. <laughs> and uh, catch me at Pete Wright on Twitter, and make sure you head up, uh, head over to uh, iTunes uh, when you uh, uh, look for the show, and uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes, and leave us a comment and a nice rating. That's really kind of you to do that. Helps other people uh, discover movies we like, and um, and uh, you know we've got quite a collection of, of films behind us now. Very exciting. Yeah. Uh, and, and we also and have... Uh, interestingly enough, most of them are movies that we like. <laughs> most of them are. I have a... I, you know, we, I haven't responded to your email about the series we're doing right now. I, I have a, a point of contention oh, in your suggestion. Oh. I'm excited to, to hash that out. Is there uh, a movie that you don't like? There is a, there's a movie I don't like in that, in that oh, uh, email that you sent. So that, that's referring to this series we're doing right now. Uh, and uh, let's see, last point uh, I believe I have is uh, the Facebook. Uh, make sure you hit the Facebook slash 
movies we like uh, facebook.com slash movies we like and uh, um, and you can like us up there and we'll keep uh, all the movie news uh, that we are interested in up to date on our facebook page that's what i got did i miss anything i think you covered it quite all right. succinctly all right so i i did that because we have a lot of trailers which we're not going to talk about all of them, but I'm I'm very interested in a couple that you brought and uh, one that we both discovered, and a couple that I brought that you haven't, but you should. Yes, yes. All right. Where would you like to go first? Uh, yes, killing them softly. Oh God, that looks so good. Yeah. Okay. It's Brad Pitt's uh, new film directed by Andrew Dominic, who. I thought did a masterful job with the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Uh, that is absolutely a movie we like. Absolutely, that'd be a great one to talk about. Did you did you but, see uh, the uh, did you this, see the remake of uh, Yogi Bear and Boo Boo? The, the assassination of Yogi Bear by Boo Boo. <laughs> I'm going to have to post that on the Facebook page. You go right ahead. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, how uh, did that tie in? Did I miss something? <laughs> Uh, you actually you did, and you're going to be embarrassed when you see this uh, because this was a big <laughs> <That's awesome>. deal. <laughs> oh, just the fact that you were going from Jesse James to Yogi and Boo Boo, yeah. I think <laughs> that's just awesome. Uh, anyway, Killing Them Softly uh, opens in October, and I can't wait. It looks great. Brad Pitt, you know, was phenomenal, and uh, you know, it's going to be a great movie. I can't wait. Oh yeah, it it looks fantastic. Um, uh, the, the other, it's, it's a really great, it looks like just another great part for, for Brad Pitt. And, um, but you know, when you see the rest of the cast that's in there, uh, you know, it looks like James some of the, Gandolfini, the, the interchange Richard between Jenkins, Ray I was, Liotta. exactly. I mean, the, the interchange between, um, you know, Brad Pitt and James Gandolfini looks really very strong and really ought uh, really, I mean, ever since I saw him in, uh, the B movie, I've been just fascinated by him. <laughs> uh, he just crushed that courtroom scene. Um, yes. The uh, you know I wanted to I had I had brought up uh, arbitrage. Now you yes. just watched this is Richard Gere's new movie with uh, Tim Roth, Susan Sarandon, and it was uh, written and directed by Nicholas Jarecki. Yes. What did you think of this trailer? It looks uh, really fascinating. It is an intriguing movie, and you know Richard Gere is one of those guys who uh, you know he's taken a lot of uh, beatings over the years, but I think he's a great actor, and I think he's proved it time and time again. He really knows how to to uh, put it up there on the screen, and I enjoy watching him in a good number of his films. There are quite a few stinkers as well, but uh, um, yeah, I, I do enjoy it. And I think this is a great sort of role for him that he does so well. I I think so too. At first, I thought it was a uh, you know Wall Street three, uh, you know, but they they move on quickly that to the. Uh, looks like a really cool um, little. Uh, I don't know what, what do you what do you, what do you call this? Uh, it's a thriller, uh, suspensey yeah, kind of thriller. Uh, hey, uh, uh, it's, it's a. Really I'm gonna. There's a new thriller, genre, but it's you know it's the. It's a new genre. It's the Chappaquiddick. It is kind of yeah, isn't it's, it? It's the Chappaquiddick uh, uh, genre, and so <laughs> it looks like a good. Uh, it's more of a subgenre. It's a sub. It is a subgenre. the The Chappaquiddick is a subgenre of the thriller, um, rich, uh, rich man movie. Blowout would also be in that. Uh, yeah, uh, that's sub-genre. another. That's another Chappaquiddick. That's a, you know this is fascinating. I'll bet we could really dress this up. Yeah, 
I bet we could. We could have a whole new list to post I gotta, to the site one day. I, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait till we do this movie because we're gonna we're absolutely gonna do this as a series. The Chappaquiddick. It's gonna be the invisible series that we it won't. It'll just have uh, happened. It's what we call uh, emergent. Uh, behavior or it's an emergent list uh the other thing you brought uh the silver linings playbook wow david o russell's new movie looks so good god it really does he he's a filmmaker who's um i've been i i I appreciate that he's always doing something challenging um i haven't liked all of his films but i mean three kings i thought was astounding i really really loved that film um wasn't so in love with i heart huckabees although yeah. i did appreciate that he was being you know really thinking about making a movie and trying to do something different um and then you know embarrassed to say it i haven't seen the fighter oh yeah no you should see that 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 uh was a redemption film for me yeah after huckabees yeah, that's that's what I hear. So I, yeah. I definitely want to check that out. But boy, Silver Silver Linings Playbook looks just so great. It is. Uh, it stars. Let's see who does it star. It stars uh, Bradley Cooper and uh, Hunger Games. Yep, Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. That's right. And apparently Julia Stiles. Though I don't actually see her in the trailer. And Robert De Niro and, and Robert Jackie De Niro. Weaver. Ugh. Who, uh, boy, if if you haven't seen, um, uh, what's the, uh, now I'm blanking on the name. Um, Animal Kingdom, uh, her performance in that was just, I mean, there's a reason she was nominated for an Oscar for that. It's an amazing, amazing performance, but uh, it's great to see her in this. And uh, I, I was kind of surprised to see Chris Tucker pop up. Chris Tucker, and it looks like, a, you know, it's, it's his, it looks like he's making a move to not be annoying. <laughs> I, I sure hope so. Uh, yeah, there's a, you know, there's a lot of annoying in Chris Tucker that I really, I, I like and find funny, but this looks like one that's, uh, that's going to be a nice, a nice reprieve. Uh, it's, uh, the story apparently, uh, is, uh, about, um, Bradley Cooper's character gets out of, uh, um, some sort of a, um, mental health treatment, some sort of institutionalized care and, uh, ends up falling in love with, uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character who's in a very similar place, I guess. Uh, and, uh, or, and recovering, uh, after the loss of a loved one. And it ends up looking just sort of witty and funny and sensitive and just charming, um, uh, in, in how they deal with sort of, uh, you know, social behavior, uh, looks very cute. And there's ballroom dancing. <laughs> and ball and ballroom dancing. That's right. Okay. And then uh, you just the discovered impossible? the impossible, uh, an account of a family caught with tens of thousands of strangers in the mayhem of one of the worst natural, natural catastrophes of our time. New Ooh. film from Juan Antonio Bayona, Bayona and Sergio Sanchez. Big, big tearjerker coming out uh, right at Christmas time, which, you know, is awkwardly enough, uh, you know, Almost the because uh, this you know that we're talking about the uh, the uh, tidal waves that were hitting yeah. um, Thailand the day after Christmas, and it opens right before Christmas, um, eight years after the fact, and it's it's going to be a tough one to watch. I think it is the it it's one of those disaster movies in the subgenre of family disaster movie, mm. and it is um, it looks pretty heart wrenching, and yeah. And from the trailer, it looks like Golda Naomi Watts has it worse than Ewan McGregor. I don't know if that's true. It depends on your perspective if being the searcher is better or worse than being the searchy. Right. 
but it's coming out at Christmas, so we're hoping that it's going to end uh, on an up note for, uh, yeah, for this for this I hope, family. I hope so. Uh, now, I had a couple that I wanted to just bring up very briefly. Uh, the first one is the In the Cold Light of Day. Have you seen this one? I haven't. Okay, this is uh, Bruce Willis, one of Bruce Willis's like dozen movies that he has coming out, um, where uh, and and Henry, uh, uh, let's see, was it Henry Henry Cavill? Mm, mm-hmm. He is the uh, the new Superman, right? The Man of Steel, and uh, you know it. It looks kind of like a uh, you know uh, Taken or. Uh, you know, it looks like Nicolas Cage's Stolen that I, you know, is another one you could watch <laughs> that came out this week or, or uh-huh. you know, Taken 2 or uh, perhaps Wanted. Um, you know, it, it looks like a, a, a maybe it's a, a, you know, it's a step up from from some of those. But what, what I think is really interesting strategically for Kale or Cavill, man, this couldn't come at a better time because he looks good in the movie and um you know, if he if he pulls it off, it 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 may be what we need. I know I need to see this guy as Superman because watching him on that fishing boat, I I don't have it. Yeah, uh, and uh, I need to see him. Uh, I need to see him in a you know, a little bit more versatile role. And so, um, so that looks interesting. Directed I, by Babruk El Metri. Yes, uh, I don't know any of Babruk's work. I don't either. Yeah. So we'll see if that's timely or not. The other one that I, I, I don't know. I guess uh, what do you where where do you file this one? I think there is a genre of explosive action and a subgenre of geriatric, because this is <laughs> Sylvester Stallone's bullet to the head, and um, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and do a dramatic reading. I swear to you, when I get this guy, it's going to be bad. And then there's an axe fight. Wow. That's what I got from that trailer. So that's worth seeing. He's got some killer tattoos that look a little bit too bright to be badass. Uh, <laughs> but he's yeah <laughs> exactly exactly and uh but he's he is cut the dude is cut he's got to be what how old is sylvester stallone now oh i don't know he's crazy old uh for for walking he's you know he's like uh tom cruise like the, the he sort of doesn't age until you look at his jowls but he is a good looking man in this movie yeah uh i don't know if he can uh i, I don't know i just he was born in, what is that? He was born in, here you go, quick math. 46, 46. so he's 66. 66 years old. Man, he looks good in this movie. I'm not kidding. Yeah. I mean, he may not look Judge Dredd good, but he looks good. Well, you know, he's in Expendables 2 right now. Oh, he's yeah. He's 66. Chuck Norris is 72, and he's in that movie. Yeah. So again, see, now they have established with the Expendables, that's what I was thinking, the subgenre of geriatric and, and speaking of the subgenre of geriatric of geriatric Jean-Claude Van Damme who yeah. also is in The Expendables 2 was in Mabruk El Metri's film JCVD that's uh, you know what you have not uh, seen that one Ma- have you Mabruk kind of broke through I am so glad you said that that is it that is right I have seen Mabruk's movies and you know what I loved JCVD See, I haven't seen it, but I heard good things about it. I really, really liked that movie. That was worth seeing. Um, and then, uh, you know, Nick Cage, I mentioned Stolen. The trailer came out. This is uh, Stolen. It's uh, it's no Taken 2. Uh, it's, uh, it, it, 
you know, I don't know. And Nick Cage, man, he's he's got some relationships in Hollywood. Let's just say that. And, you know, I love Nicolas Cage, but boy. Next. I, Did you love him in so Next? There's few movies that he makes that I want to see. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, man. Since Moonstruck, it's been, it's been tough. <laughs> okay. And uh, oh, finally, Jessica Biel, the poor Jessica Biel. I only bring it up because we've been talking about um, the Total Recall remake. She is in a movie that looks really not that great called the Tall Man remake. Um, and uh, it's, uh, you know, about children getting kidnapped in the woods. And it's just, she looks totally, I only bring it up because she looks totally out of place in this movie. I think she's she's kind of a different actress now, and I wonder why she's in this film, so. Well, she was in uh, Total Recall, so. That's what I mean, and and it she's, seems. She's just, she's finding ways to <laughs> move down, apparently. I, that's that's what, what is going on, you know? I, um, no, I don't know. It's, it's hard to figure out which film she's doing is actually a stepping stone anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, let's talk about our movie tonight because it's far better than any of these. Well, are we gonna are we gonna mention Tony Scott at all? Oh, I'm sorry, I should no. have. You do please do it. Well, I you know I just it's it's a tragedy what happened to Tony Scott. Um, uh, it's you know he uh, committed suicide earlier this week, and uh, you know he's we've talked about him on the phone on the phone on the show before. And, uh, you know, he's, he base he was the, the director who inspired our jiggly monkey, um, camera work comments, as well as, um, you know, one of the directors of film of Dom or of a lot of films that are kind of like Domino that, um, we discussed when we were talking about chaos cinema back in the Bourne series. And, you know, I did want to say, um, I mean, he's got a lot of films that, I enjoy quite a bit. He also has a lot of films that I don't enjoy. Um, but to be fair to him, especially in regard to the chaos cinema and Domino, which I, I still haven't seen, but reading about it, I did feel um, that it's important to note in regards to what um, Matthias Stork talked about with the chaos cinema, that this whole idea is sloppy filmmaking um, and it, it's very hard to understand what people are shooting, and it just seems like a lazy way to make movies. Um, I mean, that's kind of a, a broad description of, of what I think his point was. And he threw Tony Scott and particularly Domino in that mix. But reading about Domino, I saw that what Tony Scott was doing in that film is he was actually using a lot of experimental film techniques where he would actually shoot stuff and then he would reverse the film and he would shoot again. So you're getting overlapping images on the film when, when it was processed. And I don't know any filmmaker in Hollywood who actually is doing this. It's, it's a very experimental avant-garde style of filmmaking. And to find out that he was doing that, I mean, even if the film was very chaotic and hard to understand, the fact that he's doing that in Hollywood, I think, does you know give him a little step above some of the other filmmakers out there. So I just wanted to throw that out there. You know, I I think it's um, it it is uh, it it's just tragic uh, what happened and how it happened. And um, you know, I think there is obviously a degree of sensitivity about talking about the actual sort of act. But what you what you 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 just this guy. Um, made movies that define a really important part of my sort of cinema cinema going career right i mean mm -hmm. uh, top gun 
Beverly Hills Cop 2, Revenge, Days of Thunder, The Last Boy Scout, True Romance was a gem, mm-hmm. Crimson Tide, uh, The Fan, uh, I wasn't crazy about The Fan, but then right. Enemy of the State, uh, and, and I think... Uh, let's see. Uh, beat Spy the devil, game. man on fire. I was I left Spy Game because I think as I'm looking at it, I, I pull that out as my absolute I think favorite of of his movies. I uh, that's one of the movies. Like there there's that category of movie that you just can put on uh, mm-hmm. that you've seen so many times. It's just it becomes music, you know, in the in the background. And and Spy Game is one of those movies. I think it was just terrific on all fronts and so this guy was behind some some uh, movies that really contributed to uh contributed to the industry in a in a really lasting and powerful way and gave us the jiggly monkey and so he will uh, certainly be remembered yeah for those of you who haven't yet visited our facebook page go there we have a poll and you can vote for your favorite tony scott film oh really you did that so fast yeah did you just and do you that you haven't voted yet did you just do that? No, I did it like I don't know a few days ago. Are you serious? I am serious. Well, that's uh, all right. <laughs> all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that. I can't believe right. that that snuck by me. I'm clearly dealing with some. I must be dealing with some really horrible things that I missed. That you're busy. Uh, I understand because you got. Oh, oh, there it is. Okay, well. I'm, and they're not all on there. Um, so, but you can add if one of your top gun that there are only favorite is not oh eleven there, more are on. Oh yeah, okay. So I'm no one has vote what? Uh, well, I know. Sorry, you <laughs> voted for Enemy of the State. I I know, and I deliberate if that was the right choice. I go back and forth if it's that or Crimson what? Tide. I think are, are my two favorites, or or True Romance. Ah, True romance, torn. I think it's a you know that's that's the spiritual best, but you know, well, Spy I Game was very enjoyable. Spy Game was a terrific oh. movie. I can't believe no one's excited about Premium Rush this week. I'm actually excited about that movie. <laughs> we didn't talk about it, but I like him. You know, uh, uh, Gordon. Yeah, let's talk about tonight's movie. <laughs> you're a you're a dweeb. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Uh, you know what I, I was just... Is, isn't that a remake of that Kevin Bacon movie from the eighties? Everything's sort of a remake remember of that a Kevin, Kevin Bacon, Bacon movie. Yeah, I, movie? I, I do remember that movie. I, that, <laughs> what was I, that called? Light, um, uh, something lightning or? Oh goodness! Uh, well, I you know it, it takes too long to search through Kevin Bacon movies. Um, the lightning something streak. I don't know. St- oh, uh, Silver Street. Yep. Yep. Oh, yep. there we go. It to- it's just like a rehash of Silver Streak. So I've seen Silver Streak. I don't need to see Premium Rush. You're kind of ornery. <laughs> Tonight we are continuing our uh, Xanax series. Very excited about this movie. George Roy Hill's The Sting. Yeah. Um, absolutely fantastic film from beginning to end. Nothing is wrong with it. I mean, this is just one of those films that's, you know, near as near as near to perfection as one could get in a film, I would say. I what what is your take on this? I you know, I watch this movie and I think, what is it I like about this movie? And, you know, it's it's hard to talk about it in, a, you know, a clear headed way because there's so much that that is is good. But the the thing that really stands out to me is this is this whole charisma that is established in this massive cast and led by Paul Newman and Robert Redford uh, and 
you know, and, and Robert Shaw, uh, these guys are a joy to watch on screen. Mm-hmm. Am I, I mean, you know, we talk about, you know, good casts and we've talked about good casts before on the show and, 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 and you know, um, films with actors that are, that are, you know, ruggedly handsome and deliver their lines well. But this is one of those where, uh, this is a, a absolutely brilliant and large ensemble cast that yeah. is just, it's magnetic. It is in every in every way. I mean, I mean, you already mentioned, you know, Paul Newman and Robert Redford, but then you get into everybody else in the cast. I mean, there's not a a bad egg among them. I mean, Robert Shaw. I mean, come on, he's so great as Doyle Lonigan. It's just, I mean, he's, he's such a pleasure to watch in every scene that he's in. And you get into, you know, all of the the smaller characters who are as just as important in the film, Charles Durning as the uh, corrupt cop. You've got Ray Walston and uh, Harold Gould as some of the players in this whole operation that uh, Newman and Redford are setting up. Eileen Brennan, who's just always fantastic. I mean, it's hard to go wrong with anybody in here. And there's Robert Earl Jones, Demetri Arles. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's um, so the the movie was uh, written by. Well, where do you want to start? You you always have a structure. I was going to start with David S. Ward, but uh, let's start before that. Let's let's jump back. Let's jump. We're going to go back uh, to the uh, discovery, aren't yeah, we? Uh, before we get into the film, actually, let me all right do just your, catch yeah. catch us up on Zanuck. Yes. So last we left, he had directed, or sorry, he had produced his first film, Compulsion, that uh, uh, Richard Fleischer directed back in 1959. At this time, he was the vice president of 20th Century Fox for his father. Uh, and he moved on from there to help his father out and eventually become head of production at 20th Century Fox and eventually president and between he i believe he became president of 20th century fox in i believe it was 1965 right about um when sound of music won best picture and from that point on it's you know he it was just a string of hit after hit after hit however as as time continued going on he ended up having a couple Films that he greenlit that ended up not being hits, um, namely Doctor Doolittle and Hello Dolly, were two very big productions that he was behind that just did not go over very well. Now, 20th Century Fox, you may remember, is the studio that almost went belly up ten years prior when Cleopatra came out. Well, because of all this, and because you know they were afraid that it was going to go the same way again. His father, who was still head of 20th Century Fox, had to fire his son per the board. And so he was fired in 1970 by his father. Um, he went on to join Warner Brothers, but he wasn't very happy there. He was only there for like a year or two. And his, um, he was very confused about if he wanted to continue in film. He just didn't even know. Well, he ran into David Brown, who 
was working at 20th Century Fox when he was, and he happened to be the uh, the vice president in charge of story operations over at Fox. The two of them now were both out of Fox, and they decided to become independent pro producers. They formed the Zanuck Brown Company, and this was 1972. They were looking for their first film to make, and they were trying to find just the right picture to do that with. What they ended up finding was The Sting. That was the film that uh, the script kind of came along, came their way with some other younger producers who hadn't done as much. Um, and, you know, Zanuck and Brown were, you know, champing at the bit to find a great script that they could do something with. These young producers had already talked to Robert Redford, who was interested in the film, but not, and at, at the time, I believe they had David S. Ward attached to direct it. Redford was a little nervous with, with David S. Ward on board as the director of the film because he, it was his first film and he felt it was kind of complex with, you know, a lot of the complexities of this, of this sting and, and, uh, the whole operation. And also they felt like they needed a little more money. So lo and behold, they partner up with Zanuck and Brown who executive produced the movie and, uh, that's how it got made. You know, I, uh, I, uh, did you, did you catch the Rob Cohen story? I did. That, that is another very interesting thing that, that does tie into this whole thing. I, let, why don't you tell us that? Well, I, you know, I was, th I, I'm trying to figure out the best way to tell it. So the, the idea uh, or the, the, um, uh, the story is Rob Cohen, um, was, uh, you know, in the late sixties was reading or in the early seventies was reading scripts for um, Mike Medavoy, who is, who, who went on to be, uh, producer and studio head. Where do you know where, what was, uh, where was he a studio head, Mike Medavoy? Well, anyway, it's uh, neither here nor there at this point. So Mike, this is according to Rob Cohen, Mike put me in this cubbyhole. They hadn't had a reader in about a month and the backup was enormous in this agency because I was reading scripts for all the agents. So I was in this little cubbyhole piled floor to ceiling with unread scripts and I began to develop a little code under myself like I will never read two scripts in a row with yellow covers or on Wednesday I only read scripts with blue covers. So there are all these piles and Wednesday came and I pulled this script out of the bottom of the heap. I had to read five scripts a day and write the coverage on them. Basically reading 600 pages of material and writing 10 pages of material a day, which is a lot. So I started to read the script, like you begin to read all scripts, like dubious, because after you've been disappointed so many times reading, when am I going to read a really good script? And so I kept turning the pages on this one, and it got better. And it got better, and it got better, and I realized that finally, at the end, I had been conned, and the audience had been conned, just like any other long con or short con in the movie. I flipped out and I wrote this glowing two-page synopsis and opinion that I still have framed in my office in which I fully went on record as this is the great American screenplay and this will make an award-winning major cast, major director film. And the agent, Metavoy, came into my cubbyhole after he read the coverage and he said, how good is this script? And I said, it's as good as I just told you. And he said, I'm going to go try to sell it this afternoon and if I don't, you're fired. So tell me <laughs> how good this script is. I said... You can fire me if you don't sell it. And he went out, called a few people at Universal, and the script was bought that day. By the end of the week, it had Paul Newman and Robert Redford and George Roy Hill reprising their relationships from Butch Cassidy. <laughs> I love that story so much. Yeah, it's amazing.
uh, I love that story, but you know, I love that story and that it ends sort of symbolically with uh, Rob Cohen directing, actually directing Triple X and the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> somehow, so <laughs> somehow that's the cosmic bookend to the making of the Sting. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> In a way, I guess it brought us full circle, right? Uh, and uh, yeah. <laughs> now I, the yes. Mummy. Yeah, right. Fast and the Furious. The stealth. Jessica Beale, right? That's right. See? Huh? All right. So uh, back to David S. Ward. Uh, tell me what you love about this script. This, I mean, it's just this is a fascinating script, and it's it's written so well. And David S. Ward, he spent a lot of time researching these con men. He found a book, I believe, that. Um, kind of chronicled kind of the true life stories of con men and he became fascinated with it did a lot of research and he wrote this script and i think what's so smart about this script is it puts you into this world where i mean they're speaking their own kind of language of the con man and it you just kind of go along with it and it all makes sense and you get in on this con with these guys without realizing that you're also being conned and I think that's why the script works so well. And I think it set a standard for con man films from that point forward. The uh, the book you're talking about is The Big Con, The Story of the Confidence Man by David Moore. And uh, I, if, if I understand correctly, Moore actually uh, ended up suing because he said too much of the book was taken uh, for this movie. Yeah. You know, whatever the case may be, I think you're right on. Uh, the... And and I I don't think you can understate or overstate uh, you know what you said about the the way the script welcomes you into the vernacular yeah um, and and I'm I'm not quite sure how to put my finger on what's going on there because you're you're right I mean from the very beginning of the movie uh, this whole language is presented in such a way that is so um, approachable. For even for, you know, I, I'll say this and, you know, I, I don't know if it ends up being an anachronism, but I'll, I'll say that, that to a modern audience, right? A modern audience now, um, you know, 40 years since 1973. And, uh, you know, our language has changed yet again a little bit. And, you know, some of these, some of the, the terms now are, you know, not just con vernacular, but they're dated. And I this movie still presents every bit as fascinating and welcoming and enjoyable from the very first frame to the very end um, uh, of the film. That is that that's an amazing achievement. I yeah. think for a movie like this to make it still seem, um, you know, timely. Yeah, it, it very true. And I, you know, I think some of that also comes from the um, connection it has and the uh, affection it has for the history that it's talking about, right? This story takes place in the 30s. It was made in the 70s. And, um, and it has music from the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. it's, and all of it ties together in this way. And, and I mean, even looking at how, I mean, it starts with the Universal logo, not from the 70s, but from but, back in the 30s. Exactly. 40s. It's that old Universal logo that just looks so awesome. Right. And that affection for the time and that that uh you know scott joplin ragtime feel the saturday evening post um 
um, titles breaking up the chapters of the story. All of those little elements really show that these people are welcoming you into this this world of this nostalgia, and it's not something. I, I mean, there's crime in it. There's there's murder, but at no point are we getting you know very dark and and uh, gloomy, and we're not looking at anything that's gritty. And it's just it's a spellbinding story that welcomes you in with characters that I mean. They're so uh, the the nature of the con man is they they sell themselves so well on being your friend and I think as a member of the audience we are sold right from the start that Paul Newman and Robert Redford are our friends we're we're right in there with them and I think that is what pulls us in so quickly into the film and just makes it such a pleasure to watch. Well, and we had to be their friends because everyone in this movie is bad. Yeah. Right. I mean, and and, and yeah, I think that's, <laughs> they're, they're all criminals. And that's another one of these. This is one of those movies where, um, it, you know, we it's it, it's a lesser of all the, the evils presented kind of a movie. And we're you know, we we have the affinity for for these two, um, you know, because they're the ones who are sort of the, the most downtrodden of the criminals uh, that were uh, that were interested in seeing their own redemption. And. Uh, I, I think that's another uh, component of the film that was really well played. That um, we we end up having this experience where um, maybe, and I you know I think it's it's maybe in the scene where they're interviewing con men, you know, where where he's he's interviewing con men and telling them to go get suits. Uh, that we are, uh, you almost feel like you are on an interview. Right. I mean, you. It almost feels like a ride that that we're about to be uh, in this. Uh, you know, we're preparing for this con, and we're preparing to be, you know, in the, um, you know, in the bookie lounge, and we're preparing to be a part of pulling this over on Lonneman. Yeah. You know, it's they're they're very much. It's like a theater troupe, and they're welcoming us into their their acting ranks. It, it is. And that's what I, you know, one of the things I think is really magnificent about this movie that they, that they pull that off so well. And, and, uh, you know, even sort of before, um, you know, it, 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 before kind of experiential marketing took over, you know, for movies where we have all these, you know, websites that bring you into, you know, the, the story before you go to the story, this was a movie where you sit down in the theater and you really feel like you're part of the, part of the tale. That yeah. That's a, that's, uh, that's a real feat. It's masterful writing and masterful directing, and uh, and of course, having the presence of Paul Newman and Robert Redford only helps. I mean, they're two of the most charismatic actors out there, and just being friends with them in this film is just an exciting ride. Yeah, that's that's the way to put it. It feels like we are friends with them, as as good as they are friends with each other. And that's, I think, what makes it such an amazing film is by the end, we realize that they've also pulled the wool over our eyes. Right. It's just genius when the big reveal happens at the end and you you realize what's been going on. It's, oh, man, it's it's amazing how we've been conned. This, uh, so these, these con, this movie in particular, these cons, I, it, yeah. I, I may be a little embarrassed to say this, but I, I think this is, uh, you know, here I am. I'm I'm turning forty this year. 
right? Oh, I think this wow. is the first time I actually sat through it and feel like I understood everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I feel like for the, for the last, you know, 25 years, I feel like I, there's always something I've missed in this movie as many, many times as I watch it, whether it's, you know, God, where did that now? Where did the ace go? Uh, right. What he's doing his little uh, his card tricks. I, you know, there's always something that I miss in this movie. And I think I think I got it. Uh, there's That's there's so some risk in in uh, you know making a movie that has so many kind of uh, hoops that we have to jump through to to do the reveal uh, to to sort of earn the final reveal. Um, and uh, you know I wonder. Um, Sort of strategically, if that if they ever, I mean, I don't. Did you do any of the the uh, behind the scenes stuff uh, with uh, on this one? Um, I mean, I, I watched. The, they have a great little making of mm-hmm. on the uh, on the DVD, which is, uh, um, yeah, it's an enjoyable making of it. You know, it was uh, it didn't give me any insight into how to. Uh, it wasn't a how-to video on how to pull a con or anything. Well, and yeah, that's I mean that sort of gets what to my point that you know as in so far as I've as many times as I've seen this movie and that there are so many sort of layers uh, in the movie is uh, that the risk is it just befuddles without the payoff. And yeah. uh, and and in this movie, I think he he you know obviously is portrayed well enough not to make it enjoyable whether or not you get it all. Uh, but it's risky. Well, it is. And I think, you know, Robert Redford saw that when he first read the script. And I think it was smart on his part to realize, boy, this has to have a steady hand directing it who can really keep all these pieces in place and make sure that by the time you reach the end, we haven't created any plot holes or we haven't confused the audience and that it all is laid out exactly as it should be. And it was was very smart on his part to realize you know, I'm sure David S. Ward is a capable director, but it would be his first film and he shouldn't be the one doing this. We need to get somebody who knows what they're doing. And when George Roy Hill came on, I think it was just the right choice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the last time we we uh, oohed and not about uh, uh, David S. Ward was in uh, during Major League. And mm-hmm. by that point, he, you know, this was a, his second um uh, the second film that he directed, Major League. But by that point, he already had the Milagro Bingfield War, Saving Grace, The Sting 2, uh, you know, and, and and The Sting under his belt uh, in terms of, of movies that he had written um, and been involved with. And, and I think his you can absolutely see kind of his satirical craft uh, evolve by the time he gets to Major League. But at this point, this was his second, uh, the second film he'd written. Uh, was the sting? That's a that, yeah. that's a beautiful work. It's it's amazing to have come up with a script like this. I mean, I've written scripts. I know how hard it is to write scripts. Coming up with a script that's this sharp and that has that keeps all of this complexity um, tied up nicely and all makes sense. I think is is a feat. And it, it rightfully uh, deserves the the uh, accolades that it got. Yeah. Uh, so we've got uh, George Roy Hill. Yeah, who previously directed, uh, like we said, um, 
uh, Newman and, and Redford in the wonderful Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh, that was a terrific film. Yeah, that's that's another one we should uh, yeah should we should put that put that days. on the list. But he had been. I mean, he also did uh, you know Slaughterhouse Five. He did the Great Waldo Pepper. He did Slapshot. So you can see he's got a, a consistency of enjoying at, at working with Newman and Redford, right. coming back to them time and time again. Well, and then one of my one of my uh, favorites, The World According to Garp, uh, with uh, based on the John Irving book with Robin Williams and mm-hmm. uh, Glenn Close. Uh, terrific film. Yeah, a, a very capable filmmaker. He made just some wonder, wonderful, wonderful films. Uh, and he won for this film. He won Best Director. Yeah. So uh, rightfully so. I mean, it's just such a great film. The way the way the film is structured, it had me thinking of our conversation about. I, th- I think it was Joe versus a volcano, where you occasionally you run into these movies that that really could stand alone as serials, right? I mean, it's it's the way it is kind of put together structurally. It's it's very episodic. Uh, yeah. And and he actually calls great attention to each episode with the you know with the scene cards uh, that that you know break up the the pacing of the film. I wonder, do you have what what is your thoughts on how um, you know how those scene cards affect the overall pacing in the movie leading up to the big con? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, and I I haven't um, tracked how frequently those happen. I don't know if it's. Um, I mean, they feel conveniently about every 15 minutes or so, which makes me wonder if uh, when David S. Ward wrote this script, if he wrote it using, um, in the world of screenwriting, there's a method called the sequence method, where you you break the film up into small, like about little 10 to 15 minute chunks, kind of mini stories. And um, it, it makes me wonder if it was designed that way, because each of these do feel like, one kind of complete package. You know, you've got the setup, you've got the hook, you've got the the, the story or the tale, and I can't remember all of them, but um, they all are packaged very nicely, and then they just kind of keep moving you along. It's it's a nice. I guess what I like about it is it does give you a sense of um, you're following along in kind of that that serial style, like you said, where, okay, now that's part of it's done. Now we're going to move on to the next part. Almost like the, the steps that you take to set up a con, right? And in a way, I think that in the story, it also is kind of acting as a guidebook on how to understand this world of con men. So we see, okay, this is the setup. And so we understand, okay, this is what they do to start setting it up. Oh, this is the tale. They create this tale for the um, the person that they're going to pull the, the con over on. Um, and, and they wrap them up into this story. And then, you know, the hook, what hooks them into it? How do they draw them in? And it's just like um, Christopher Nolan's movie, The Prestige, where you've got, he, they talk about the the three elements of the magic trick and how you work those different elements. And by doing that, it's making us, the audience, feel like, ooh, they're, they're pulling back the curtain and they're li- revealing the secrets on how to do this. And it's very much that same style. I don't feel it slows the movie down at all. And it, I, I feel it gives it some nice little chapter breaks. Like, okay, now I understand what that is all about. Now I understand, you know, what the hook is and how they, how they 
hook this guy in. And for me, it, it pulls me in all the more because I feel like I'm really starting to understand, okay, now I can do this. Now I understand how you set all this up. So I, I think it's, it's very smart, and it goes back to David S. Ward and his structure for the script. You know, last week uh, you, we talked about patience, um, right. and, and and I think I think you hit it that what the scene cards do in in many respects is it actually introduces kind of an artificial restraint uh, that says you know what you're going to take three to four seconds and you're going to reflect on uh, where you are in the movie right now in the story right now in the context of where you have been with this marker of where you are going. And just the act of slowing down actually helps us get into this this world and, and sort of continually reinvest in the world. Uh, I think you I think you described that really well. That's um, I, I think that it ends up being a really useful um, tool uh, for the And, and I film. don't see many films these days using a tool like that. And it's I mean even then, I didn't see that many films using that sort of tool. But for the right sort of film, it works really well. Well, it really does. Uh, and it also makes it easy to, you know, to... I, I think it's it's really useful to think of it in terms of a serial. Like you can really, I was I found myself kind of watching it, not all of it, obviously, but watching it with my kids who were, you know, my kids are young and they were crazy into this film i mean they found themselves really mesmerized by it that's awesome yeah then i made him go do laundry (laughs) put him back to work it's it's not a bad film for for kids i mean there is you know a death or a couple deaths in the film george roy hill um rarely if and i i'd have to look I, i mean i think he never showed a death on screen or if, if it, somebody died on screen, then he did a freeze frame like the end of Butch Cassidy and Sundance mm-hmm. Kid. Um, the people who die in this film, it, it's off screen. And so it's, it, it makes it, I mean, you know, I, I hate to make it sound, you know, you know, milk toast or something. Cause I don't mean that, but it's, it, it's, it's in a way it's family friendly. It's, it's, it's something that you can watch more with a family. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's complex. I can't imagine a you know uh, anyone under ten fully understanding the complexities of the the operation going on here. And yet, like a, like any good sleight of hand, it's just magical watching the machine work. Exactly, that's the magic. And I think you that's a, that was a great um, word choice you used there because it is it is like a magician doing a trick. Yeah, that's what it felt like. Yeah. Um, let's see who else of import do you, uh, do you feel, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't bring up Marvin Hamlish, I think it's, uh, yeah. Somebody else who just passed away recently. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the music of Mar- Marvin Hamlish is, um, you know, obviously much of the music is, um, you know, rag and Scott Joplin and, uh, if not directly, uh, Joplin himself, it's at least reinterpreted. Uh, by Marvin Hamlish, but the music is, um, it's not just the music, it's how the music is used in the film. And, and more often than not, when the music is playing, um, you know, the, the actors are, we can't hear any, uh, ambient sound, right? Yeah, right. It's, it's not just underscore. It's actually 
it's it's in a weird way it's almost like a silent film it is i was just gonna say that and you almost feel like it should be sped up a little bit exactly like, when, like the scene when he goes to the barber's office you know and he's got uh, you know he's getting somebody he's got doing his hair and uh um you know gondorf is standing there he's kind of telling him what to do and the person comes up to give him a manicure and you kind of feel like he's pulling his hand back and he's looking over here and he's looking back over there and and you feel like it should be uh, you know it could should cut to a, a scene card that says no i won't have them do my hands but you must have them do your hands uh it, it is a wonderful kind of homage to 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 that style of filmmaking and i think the music helps set the tone in such a great way absolutely absolutely yeah and and this the music for this film created a a huge resurgence in popularity and interest in in this uh scott joplin and ragtime music i mean this turned into out of the blue i don't think anyone was expecting it least alone marvin hamlish Uh, it turned into a hugely successful album when it came out it went to you know the i think it went right up to the top of the charts um it was uh, you know what yeah it went in billboard it was uh position number 1 uh, it's amazing that in the 70s i mean there's a lot of great music out there and scott joplin hit the top of the charts because of right that's like you know that that's just like taylor swift hitting number one on the pop charts <laughs> just like <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, but yes, marvin I, hamlish did win an oscar um for his uh arrangements that he did of scott joplin's music he did it he did a fantastic job I, at this point for this movie it's like they were just picking oscars out of a hat though to be fair i mean somebody had to have been paid off this movie did an incredibly well <laughs> <laughs> it did uh, well rightfully so I yeah mean, it's it w- a great movie but yeah it was nominated for 10 oscars it walked home with uh seven of those it got oscars for best picture best directing best original screenplay best art direction henry bumstead and james Payne. fantastic work creating the 1930s chicago best costume design the wonderful edith head best film editing william h reynolds and uh, best music i already said marvin hamlish and it was nominated for Best Actor, Robert Redford, Best Cinematography, Robert Surtees, who's an amazing cinematographer. I was uh, hoping you would talk more about him. Yeah, uh, fantastic. And Best Sound, Ronald Pierce and uh, Robert Bertrand. So just an amazing team of people that they assembled for this. Uh, Robert Surtees, the cinematographer, of course, did a few small films like uh, Ben-Hur, Oklahoma, <laughs> The Graduate. Uh, he actually... He did uh, Doctor Doolittle, one of the uh, the bombs that uh, yeah. Zanuck was behind. Um, the Last Picture Show, stunning black and white film. He did um, shortly before Sting, um, and he was working, you know, he all the way up into the late seventies. Just hey, lots o- of Oklahoma, lots of, yeah, Oklahoma. I can't believe you would go through that whole list. Seventy three movies. O- Oklahoma's at the top. You did? I did. I was listening for it. I'm not I did. Sure I said did. it right after Ben Hur. I did a little backward jump to you did because it, it was... up. I did. <sighs> and he right. won an Oscar for The Bad and the Beautiful. I mean, you know, very summer forty two, in seventy one. Hmm. Yeah, he's a he is a and your favorite, The Great Waldo Pepper. Oh, and the Hindenburg. Oh, and a <laughs> Star is Born. Are you kidding me? Ah, oh. <laughs> the list. Is, the yeah. dude has been around. He's a company man, if there ever was one. Yeah. Fantastic work on this film. Great cinematographer. Uh, Uh, And then, you know, the producers on this film that 
had originally found the script and wanted to get it made, who ended up, you know, going to Zanuck and Brown, Tony Bill, Michael Phillips, and Julia Phillips. Um, they won the Oscars for this. The executive producers, of course, did not, even though they they were the ones kind of shepherding the project. But uh, Tony Bill was, uh, you know, a fairly prominent producer and actor, actually, appearing in films like Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So he has uh, been Goodness, around. Goodness, he's uh, been around, yes. <laughs> he's been around a long time. And actually, he's directed as well. Uh, but the interesting thing is, is Michael and Julia Phillips, it was, they were the first husband and wife pair to win uh, and, and to win a Best Picture Award. And I'm wondering if they still are. They may still be the only husband and wife pair to win. And actually, his wife, Julia Phillips, is, I think, the first woman to win a Best Picture Oscar. So um, mm. the two of them went on to produce three of the biggest films in the 70s, The Sting, Taxi Driver, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Wow. So, that's a trifecta. Yeah. Wow. Pretty good decade for them. Uh, this movie um, performed exceedingly well. To say the least. <laughs> it, it's one of those movies that, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about it in this context where it's, it just, it was the perfect cast with a terrific script. They knew it was a terrific script from the beginning. They gave it to capable team with extremely capable actors and fantastic charisma. And they delivered this movie that earned tons of awards and made a boatload of money. Yeah, this isn't one of those films that you hear, oh, is a critical success. No. <laughs> this was a critical success and an audience favorite. Uh, it was, a, what are you, I'm looking at 5.5 million to make this movie. Is that about right? I'm looking at 5.5 million to make it with a, a P&A budget of 4 million. So, uh, so almost $10 million. Right. And it made nearly 160. Yep, that's what I see. In the box office? That's amazing. It is. It's uh, That's a heck of a lot of dough. Uh, man, what a what an unbelievable take. It almost feels like a con. <laughs> Somebody's laughing <laughs> Somebody's, out there. You can see these guys counting cash. There's Zanuck in the back room with his cronies, with these old mafia cash counting machines. I can see it. <laughs> They've all got cigars hanging out of their mouths. Yeah, it's a smoke-filled room in the <laughs> basement right. of 20th century, or Universal. <laughs> Universal, exactly. Uh, fantastic film. What what else is on your on your list of things to talk about related to this film? Are you... You, you know... You always I, have such great things else, to end. What's that? You always have such great things. I'm usually finished, because I'm I'm the dummy on this thing. And, you, and then I say, <laughs> so, what else? I'm kind of done. And you say, well, wait, let me say this amazingly important thing that I've been holding out on. <laughs> so, go ahead. I, I don't have anything <laughs> that amazing this time, but I did want to uh, say this quote from, uh, from uh, Zanuck, where he said, a producer, if he's doing his job, is the creative force. He doesn't tell the director how to direct, but he hires the director. He hires the writer, and he has picked the story. He's kind of the grand master of it all. I found that quote that he said, and I, I just thought, you know, that's that really defines it well. And I think 
after he left Fox and he found himself um, starting up as an independent producer with David Brown, he really took a lot from his experience at Fox and, and, and knew how to shepherd people and find the right creative force. And this is a perfect example of helping all the right creative people come together to make a film that is going to live, go down in the record books, I think, as, as one of the all-time greats. Yeah. So. I, you know, I'm going, I'm, I'm looking back at the, um, you know, at where we are um, in, in the context of Zanuck and his, um, you know, and, and sort of the, the movies, the stories that, that he finds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and how this one relates in, in some way to um, uh, compulsion. Yeah. Right. Where you, in, you know, in, in both of these stories, we have this, you know, the way we address, um, the way we address power in the context of the world in which we exist, right? In the case of compulsion, it was all, it was a story of these, um, you know, of the, the, uh, uh, truly white collar kind of rich world against, uh, uh, you know, against the legal system, uh, yeah. you know, intellect against sort of the brawn of the legal system. And in this one, you know, in the sting, we are in this, the world of criminals and, and it's the, the, the bad versus the worst, but it's, uh, you know, we have a dominant power structure and we have, uh, these upstarts who are trying to challenge based on their own ingenuity and their own criminal intellect, they're challenging the dominant power structure. And I think that's a, that's, um, um, you know, here, here we are looking at a theme, uh, that is sort of emerging at least between these two points in his, in his production career. I'm not sure how well that stands up, uh, against the shark. Uh, <laughs> but, but there are other ways I could probably spin this in that movie. Uh, I bet there are, I bet there are. Uh, so, you know, I find that, an, uh, that's interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing kind of where that goes. This, the, the challenging of the dominant power structure theme in Zanuck's production career. Yeah. No, it, it will be very interesting. It will be very interesting to see how, uh, how you can find a thread for him. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's a trick. Finding a thread for a producer, I think is a lot trickier than, than finding it for a director or actors or somebody who really kind of sets themselves into like, you know, Sylvester Stallone, who we were talking about earlier. Right. He he tapped into a certain type of genre that he did really well, and he's done that for a long time and he has excelled at it. Um Spielberg, you know, you can you can find a lot of these directors who have um a, a specific theme that they you can look at kind of across all of their films like Kubrick or Scorsese or right. or Spielberg a producer it's a little trickier because with them um you know they're really just trying to find something that they think is going to be great right. um now there can be a theme there and I'm not saying there isn't um it could just be a great story and they're a storyteller and they want to tell great stories and they want to help get great stories Good, made yeah exactly um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see as we continue talking about his films what sort of uh, themes and uh, theories we come up with. Cockamamie schemes. <laughs> uh, excellent, sir. So next week uh, we are taking on uh, we're taking on Jaws. Is that right? Man, another 
film that is just one of the greats. I can't wait to talk about that. I cannot wait. I can't wait to watch it again. I know. And, you know, tomorrow, uh, I think, I'm not sure if it's all weekend or if it's just just tomorrow, but at least in our local theaters, there there it's there are two showings of Jaws in the, the big screen. Oh, man, uh, that's awesome. Here, I'm very excited about it. I won't, I won't be able to see it, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm excited that it exists. Yeah. Uh, in the theater. So, you know, go see it if you can uh, in the theaters and join us for a conversation on Jaws next weekend. Are you are you going to be able or next week? Are you going to be able to see the or to catch up with the the new Blu-ray? Uh, I am intending to. Yeah. OK. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to checking it out. I, I did pick it up. I've already watched some of the uh, um, amazing behind the scenes documentaries that are on it. And I'm just definitely looking forward to watching the film. And uh, it's one of my favorites. It's, it always has been. And I really, really look forward to revisiting it. Oh, me too. Uh, it's, a, it's terrific. So, um, yeah, and, and they didn't do a CG shark. Hallelujah. No, they didn't do a full Lucas. No. The, the full Lucas. Way to go. No, I'm glad Spielberg's kind of pulled back on that. And even when they release the E.T. Blu-ray, I think next month or when October. They, they undo some things. He's, he's yeah, he's undoing some of the digital fixes that he did. So yeah. kudos to Spielberg for that. I You know, I don't mind if a director does that as long as they still make the original available. That, you're, that's the, that is the whole thing. That yeah. is the whole thing. And the fact that George Lucas came out and, and said, you know, those those previous versions don't exist anymore. Yeah. This is how I want them to be from now on. Come on. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. I got nothing else for you. I'm really finished. <sighs> Not even a pat on the back no. or a, no. a wink and a smile no. or no. a jig? No. No. You're, you're leaving me kerfuffle. I got a tip. I got a tip for you. Don't eat anything bigger than your head. <laughs> okay. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>